I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as we go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. On this episode of the Executives Exchange, Medline CEO Charlie Mills talks with Linda Imonti, Office Managing Principal at KPMG. He shares how Medline scaled manufacturing and leveraged their supply chain to meet COVID-19 head-on. And he explains why a top-down understanding of client needs, combined with knowing how to sell your product, is the key to success. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us this morning. It's great to have you here with us. Um, What an exciting time for your business and your organization. So I want to start back at the beginning. Um, Let's start out talking a bit about the family business. You are the fourth generation of family to lead Medline. So I think it'd be great for our our attendees to hear about some of your earliest memories of working at Medline and how do you prepare for your roles at Medline that you've had? First, I want to thank you, Linda, for doing this and thank the executive club and Margaret. Much appreciated. I started at Medline very young. I literally started working at age six or seven and would come in after school or on weekends or in summer and assemble admission kits and you know I'd be in the warehouse making product and some poor hospital would get kits made by a six-year-old and that's uh it was a small family business back then uh when I was in high school and college I worked after school and and uh during summers I, I worked mostly in the IT department I think my father felt we didn't really understand IT at that point and that would be a way to do it. Uh, I'm sure I was probably pretty mediocre. I was writing programs and things like that. And then I, I after college, I worked for IBM for a couple of years and then started at Medline as a sales rep. And frankly, most of our top executives started in sales. So it's very customer-oriented way to learn the business. That's kind of the start. When we were prepping for today's call, you shared a story with me also. I think uh, you remember talking about riding your bike over in the summers to work. Uh, my parents were divorced and I would ride, before I was 16, I would walk or ride my bike over to my dad's house and be there before you know, he left and would go to the office with him. And whenever he got home, which was usually a you know, longer than average day, I would come home and, you know, I had various jobs. I I think one of those summers I was a computer operator. And on the other hand, uh, my dad, I also remember he had a convertible the summer I was 15 and I had my learner's permit, but would be driving his convertible to and from work and playing whatever music we could. And it was fun. So those yeah. are some nice memories. So you became the CEO in 97. And at that time, the reports show the company was at about 500 million in sales. And it's reported now to be over 17 billion. So can you share a little bit about who Medline is, how you were able to achieve this double-digit growth? And you've had double-digit growth in 53 of the last 54 years, including 24 straight years while you've been the CEO. So I, I think it would be really interesting to hear you know, who is Medline? And then and then what are the key things that, that allow the organization to achieve at this level? 
we were 17.5 or 17.4 billion in revenue last year. We have about 28,000 employees and we've been very fortunate. We've had good growth. Uh, I, early on as CEO, I emphasized service. There are a lot of things that I helped put together that maybe my dad didn't necessarily purely agree with. And I think our service reputation is better than our competition now, significantly better. I also emphasized calling on many of the big customers. We would, back then there were big purchasing groups and we wouldn't call on them on any frequent basis, but you know, maybe a 50 bed nursing home would get called on frequently and it didn't quite make financial sense. We have worked very hard. Many hospitals have prime vendor suppliers and we really weren't in that business. And uh, many manufacturers don't sell direct to hospitals. They sell through these prime vendor companies. And we've started about 20 years ago doing that. And we've gone from, from nothing to maybe 40% of the market last year. And we're the biggest seller of market, number one in the market share. So that's been growth. And there are other new markets. We weren't selling physician office until about 10 years ago. And I decided to do that. And we were, uh, many hospitals were buying more and more doctor practices. And it seemed somewhat integrated with acute care. And we have gone from, from nothing to about 750 million in that segment. There's still a lot, you know, of a runway left. But I mean, things like that. And we've had a few minor acquisitions, not most of it's organic, but we've had some acquisitions that have uh, helped those numbers too. So opening up new markets, some inorganic growth as well as your organic growth has um, really helped you drive those, those significant numbers in those growth areas. The organization is also very involved in innovation in the healthcare field and really with a goal to advance your clients and and their capabilities and and we've gotten to know you even more i mean you've been more visible even through this last year with the the covid pandemic but i think it'd be really interesting for us to learn a little bit more about the breadth of your products how you're involved in innovation what types of things you might be looking at around innovation just kind of help us understand kind of your current and your future vision there we are a very nimble company and we respond quickly. Uh, we do have a, a lot of patented products and some of them are very innovative, but many of them are minor benefits and tweaks over other brands. We have worked very hard to integrate both manufacturing and distribution into one package. And that's been somewhat innovative and we provide a lot of education. Uh, along with our products to help our customers. And that's been helpful, not just in acute care, but even more so in, in long-term care, nursing homes, home care markets, where maybe the expertise isn't quite at the level that you see mm -hmm. on the big hospital systems. We've worked very hard to have state-of-the-art distribution centers and have technology, robotic picking and things like that. And, I think this has been somewhat innovative. We're the leader and there are certain products that get reprocessed throughout the world, but not in the US. And we've become very strong at reprocessing in the US and some products that 
really shouldn't be single use, been able to work with uh, hospitals and coming up with programs to to clean and re-sterilize and package these products and, and get better value out of them. Some of these are just different things that we've done. For Medline, you're privately held today. Has that had an impact on your ability to grow or your, you referenced a minute ago that you're very nimble? Has that had an impact on uh, the, the ability to be agile in the market or innovate or take on some of this new product? Or what impact did that have on your significant growth over the last years? Well, I, I think it's been beneficial being privately held. We are making lots of investments that are long-term payoffs that you know probably hurt us in the first year or two. And whether it's building buildings all over the place or different product lines we've entered or different sales forces, these things don't pay off quickly. And and you know, I'm not going to get fired. So I might be willing to make longer term uh, commitments that if we had owners that had more of a short term horizon, uh, maybe we wouldn't make. And so I think that's been quite helpful. And maybe if we were a public company, we might have been more acquisitive and maybe that would have helped growth, but not necessarily organically. Most of our earnings we've just put back into the business you know, help fund all different things, whether it's working capital to a manufacturing site to smaller acquisitions. And so I, I think being privately held has helped us. I want to switch topics just a little bit here and, and looking at what initial steps did Medline take to really gear up for the response to COVID? And I know that um, there was a significant amount of kind of readying that you did with your team there to be prepared to really support communities as a whole across the U.S. There's, you know, Linda, there are hundreds of things. In January last year, we were air freighting product. The shortages on personal protective equipment started in other countries very quickly. You know, this thing hit Italy a month or two before it hit the U.S. Uh, there were a lot of places that were scrambling for supplies early so and it seemed probable that it was going to hit the u.s because it was just taking off everywhere else so we we normally our inventories are pretty high and we did what we could to air freight and try to mitigate some of the problems and we also increased our inventory on non-covid related products to have our customers have less to worry about so they could just focus on what they might need for COVID. We started manufacturing hand sanitizer last spring in Wisconsin and Connecticut. We were making uh, isolation gowns. We've always made reusable ones, but we started making disposable. We make face masks in Georgia now. I mean, there are things that we jumped on to try to do what we could. And, uh, you know, really thank our employees. They did a wonderful job of of handling this, especially our employees that work in uh, manufacturing and distribution locations. I mean, they really had to, you know, work hard. And uh, we did, you know, do things to social distance and and provide masks and things like that. But they, they really kept us going and kept our customers going. 
Yeah, you. I think I uh, one of the articles I was reading it was talking about you. You initiated kind of around the clock production in order to meet demand. Yeah, on certain products. So this was a difficult thing. I mean, we had certain categories that were frankly small categories for us, and they skyrocketed: lab products, uh, masks, etc. And there were other products, surgical related, where procedures got cut. I mean, we have. 8,000 employees throughout the world that assemble surgical procedure trays. And our volume in April and May was about half of what it was prior to that. And we did what we could. We didn't lay people off. We figured out how to balance how high we would let inventory go and we didn't have overtime and things like that. So we, it was it was a lot of reallocation of people. And there were some facilities where we could add product that wasn't normally made or packaged there and then others we just did the best we could to balance with you know what we had to do and our our distribution centers were very busy i mean people uh, many hospitals many customers period were trying to order heavy just to have safety stock you know we're trying to balance that extra volume with uh, the amount of people we have and I think we got through it pretty smoothly. We had a million meetings on inventory and how we were going to handle the supply chain and and keep it going as smoothly as possible. So a lot of uh, kind of stress during that time, and I think that a lot of pride, I, I would imagine, for your entire organization in the impact you were able to have in in helping uh, across the globe, but really here also, the impact in helping our society as a whole and the country in, in the time of the pandemic. That's a fairly new concept for, for most of us. But I know that during that time, there was, there was probably a great deal of pressure on employees. Um, you were taking care of their, their safety in the locations, but all of us have been grappling with how do we care for our teams and our employees, their mental health and their, you know, their physical health through this time. Were there other things that the organization did in order to help your employees get through this time? I mean, there were all kinds of things. We First, we made our employees understand that we were committed to them. Production facilities were volume went in half. We didn't lay anybody off. We had certain jobs that you'd normally have tons of customers that come to headquarters and you know, those people we found other positions for and, and things like that were they knew we, we had our back. I know the need for psychological counseling and things like that went up a lot. And Medline, you know, covers that and we have programs on that. And I'm sure not just with Medline employees, but people everywhere, the needs for that probably were much higher. We also were helpful in the communities in Chicago and other cities. We gave out reusable face masks and hand sanitizer and and you know, in millions of these things, and tried to do what we could, especially in communities who were more in need, to provide what we could. We also, you know, my cousin and I uh, were very philanthropic with you know the Illinois COVID Fund and other areas, and and Medline uh, donated to a lot of different things as well. I mean, we were just trying to do what we could to be a good corporate citizen. Well, an incredible impact that you and your employees have all had, I think, through this time. And, and I, gotta, I have to imagine there's a, a sense of 
uh, pride and fulfillment in being able to play that role during this time. There are other emergency efforts that you've been involved in uh, in the past. You were also involved in medical supplies in New Orleans after Katrina in 05, and then I believe, and then also Houston after Harvey. Can you talk a little bit about those situations and how you as an organization are able to step up in those kind of times? Well, first, for any of the situations, whether it's a hurricane or tornado, or we, we have a whole disaster response system and we have backup satellite systems for our distribution centers and we have uh, backup generators for power and, and things like that to be able to operate. Because, uh, you know, many of the products we sell are literally life-saving. And so we've worked hard at that. Katrina, actually what happened, we hired, we brought a helicopter, rented or chartered a helicopter with a thought we were going to deliver supplies. And we delivered some supplies, but mostly what we did was rescue people. We were going to hospitals that had people stranded and, you know, with the flooding and we were bringing them out of of New Orleans to, you know, areas near there that were safe. And that's primarily what was actually happening. In Houston, we were delivering supplies. So, you know, we tried to be good citizens on these things. To Puerto Rico a couple of years ago, hurricane, and uh, we spent a lot of money and effort to continue supplying uh, hospitals down there where things were hit pretty bad. So uh, we've, we've focused on it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Shore Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shore microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shore lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. As a former salesperson for Medline, do you have any tips that you learned that created unexpected growth? When, when I was selling, there were a couple of things I thought were very helpful. First, building good relationships with customers. And, and today, relationships are very important, but 30 years ago, they were everything. That was key. Uh, the second thing I, I did a lot of, I thought was helpful, and I would communicate this a lot back then, it's not so applicable now. Back then, it was prior to cell phones, and if I was at a customer's office and they had a problem, I would try to jump on that problem right away and literally use their phone and try to fix whatever the problem was. It might not even be a Medline problem, it might be a problem with another vendor. And I think they were fine with that as long as I was trying to help them. And the advantage of that is it really helped us or helped me get an answer to this to whatever customer very quickly. And, uh, and in many cases, I might be calling Megline's home office and the answer wasn't exactly what the customer wanted. And but I could, because I was in the customer's office, I could ask him or her, what about blank, blank, blank? And that would solve it. So it's ha having the high sense of urgency was uh, always helpful. And I've always wanted that. I have been a broken records saying, you know, wanted everything computerized or everything fast. If we're going to ship the product to the customer, we might as well ship it today. 
costs the same today as it will tomorrow. If we're going to get them an answer or get her an answer, we got to get it today. Let's not wait till tomorrow. So listening is a key ingredient for success. I imagine your team had to respond differently during the pandemic. Did you change your approach with your customers to hear their needs? Sure. So one of the things that came out of the pandemic, and it was the trend was happening through the years, is the transparency, the communication, the computer hookups on where products are in any location, what time they're going to get there, what day they're going to get there, you know, kind of like what people are used to from Amazon or FedEx, you know, roughly when, you know, what day the product will be there and all that stuff, if it's, if it's backordered or anything like that. A lot of that communication really stepped up during COVID and that will probably continue. And we have a lot of key customers where we're, we're talking every single day and they have a very good, very solid read on just about everything they're getting from us. And the vast majority of what they get, they order it and then within 12 hours or whatever, they're getting it all. Uh, but there's items related to COVID where you know demand just skyrocketed that are on allocation and they'll only get X amount. And, but the communication's been very solid. Shifting to the future a little bit, if given what you've learned and what you know about the pandemic spread, the role, the vaccine rollout, and some of the behavior pattern changes, what future changes do you foresee for healthcare overall? Well, there are other trends that were happening uh, that will continue to happen and and got sped up due due to COVID. So telemedicine, for example, was you know slowly taking force and the idea of going not going to the doctor but having the doctor treat you via telemedicine whether it's you know facetime or you know something zoom that has sped up and will continue uh there are other trends uh going to an urgent care center instead of the er that is sped up more surgery is now happening outside of the hospital hospitals focused heavily on COVID patients and and some of that surgery is pushed out to surgery centers. So these trends and medical changes have have happened and will probably not, you know, go back to where they were if you know COVID disappears. So so if you think about Medline over the next few years, kind of in terms of growth and capital investment, and and align that to some of the changes you've seen and understand and and a portion of those are going to stick. Some things will slide a little bit back to the way they were before and other things, other changes we've seen will stick going forward. What are the key focus areas for you around growth and capital investment? Right now, we have 8 million square feet of warehouse space under construction. We have maybe a million square feet of manufacturing space uh, under construction. Uh, so in the U.S., we're going from from 20 million to 28 million in warehouse space, and some of that warehouse space we won't need. We have a lot of customers who have we're in partnerships with, negotiations with to take space, and you know maybe we'll manage some of their inventory, but it'll be their location or their part of the warehouse is only for them, or uh, you know we'll make shipments for their product, but they'll run their own area. They're all different ways 
people are doing that. And then, then there are other product lines that we've invested in that will, you know, hopefully be more pro prevalent for us. Uh, we've made some big commitments in the lab product areas that's grown tremendously due to COVID and hopefully will continue with high level post COVID. Taking it away from kind of our focus on sales, this is a really interesting question. And I think a lot of us in roles have really had to think about this and stretch ourselves over the last year, but what has the pandemic and your team's response taught you about leadership? And what lessons do you have while leading the company through a crisis like this? I've I been very fortunate. We have, first I have, I'm the CEO, but I have uh, two cousins that work here and, and frankly, we run the business together and, and we have a great team of executives that have been here a long time and they've been wonderful. Maybe quite often our success is in spite of me, but we show up and we're working and we're trying to be as dedicated to the business as we can. And we always try to put the company first. And that is, how do you keep the peace in the family when you run a family business, especially one this large? Well, that's a good question, but uh, in a way, it's like being married to a lot of different people and you try to make it work. You know, we, we have certain roles for the family and we're trying to run the business for the business sake. And uh, the business, uh, there are other executives that are taking more and more authority, so it's becoming a little bit less family run. The people that have entered the business uh, in the family have started out in sales and that was to make them very customer focused. You know, it's, it's, it's a balance and try to do the best you can and certain family members might want different things than others. But uh, overall, I think it's a plus. And I mean, if we were a public company, you have the same kind of, you know, some shareholders want bigger dividends, some shareholders want you to sell, some shareholders want something else. So you've discussed taking risks and making long-term investments, which has obviously developed into successful growth. How does company culture play into this type of change and evolution? Well, uh, we have been very entrepreneurial and uh, we have maybe 15 or 20, or now it's 25 product divisions. And we, you know, they're charged with getting their results. I think we are trying to win and work hard and at the same time uh, care very much about our employees. I think we're a good place to work for and we do a lot of surveys and pride ourselves on trying to be a good place and we've ranked high on many surveys. Uh, we were just entered on Forbes for national uh, best places to work and, and uh, you know, so we, we work hard at, at being a a good employer. And I think that helps with the culture. Yeah. How did Medline think through scaling their distribution to ensure that all communities and health organizations in the Chicago area would be able to receive the Medline products they needed to meet the crisis for all Chicagoans? <clears throat> this is only really applicable on products that are in short supply. There were different allocations and we did a good job of trying to help markets that maybe historically wouldn't have had any inventory and in them might not have gotten as much allocation like uh, nursing homes and things like that. 
We worked with other manufacturers. We worked with FEMA. Early in the pandemic, FEMA was very involved in directing where they wanted certain products to go. And we worked with them because everybody was asking for more. We did not, there's no allocation based on price or anything like that. There's, uh, you know, we, we tried to do, we did supply historic customers. So if a, one hospital was not buying a certain category from us and another one was, we continued supplying the one that, you know, always purchased and hopefully the one that didn't purchase would continue purchasing from whoever they were purchasing from before. But uh, we did a good job, I think, of supplying everything. And, and by the way, like on PPE, our volumes uh, maybe tripled or quadrupled. So it's a, we did get a lot more product out and continue to do that. And, and on many product categories now, it's, it's been settling, meaning the shortages are, are going away. Um, one of the questions that came through a bit earlier that I want to circle back to, which I think is is interesting for all of us as leaders to think about in, in our businesses, which is what are some of the silver linings from the past year that you've experienced? The uh, silver linings? I think the FDA operated very quickly. You know, the approval on vaccines and other medical products, including, you know, things that we make very fast, very impressive. I think the communication then greatly improved. There's a lot of excess manufacturing capacity that, or not excess, but manufacturing capacity that got implemented very quickly. So these were all good things. And I really think, you know, this crisis, at least financially, health-wise, we're pretty close to I, we're definitely, I think, unless the variants take off, seeing the beginning of the end, hopefully we'll all have a, a great second half of 21 and a great 22. So, Yeah, and you brought up the, the speed of the vaccine production, and I think we learned a lot of things during this time. And, and during a crisis, we never want to welcome a crisis in order to learn some of these things, but I think some there are some interesting things that came out of it. One is you, you mentioned the speed of getting to vaccination, which we've not seen before. I've not seen before in my lifetime, that kind of speed. And I think that was phenomenal. And we learned how quickly we can do that under crisis. And to your comments about manufacturing, I think we learned a lot too of how we can work and how we can work when we need to virtually uh, and how we can connect virtually. Not that we would want to do that 100% going forward, but it changed some of those dynamics for us. So there was an, uh, quite a few kind of silver linings. It leads me into a little bit with employees working from home. There's been a lot of change. How did you help them adjust to working from home and keep them energized and engaged? You know, sure, there's other companies that could probably answer this better than me. I'm somewhat surprised at how well the the work from home of office employees has done. and. You know, most of our communication now we try to do visually. So whether it's Zoom or Teams or whatever, that's, I think, been helpful. And we've had tried to have lots of things that would mimic what we had in the past. You know, last week and the week before, we had national sales meetings and awards and presentations, and it's just all visual. 
try to we we in certain jobs that were measured more on financial results we've changed a little bit to certain projects and giving people you know a list of things to get accomplished to earn their bonus rather than just whatever the financial growth would be has been healthy and some some areas are going down and some are up and so it's hard to to just forecast in any accurate way how you would normally compensate people and so saying we want certain things done i think help people keep people more engaged yeah the recognition reward and kind of energizing our teams to keep going under different conditions i think it's been a really important part of what our organizations can do through this time i think that looking at the future and looking at kind of the work model for you all in the future as we start to go back to working in person do you foresee that your model of in-person versus virtual will be different than it was in the past it it will be a little different it won't be a lot different we're discussing what we think there's certain jobs that we feel work can work well on a permanent basis from home and there are other jobs where the collaboration with everybody is more helpful in an office so we're sorting out that and then there there's a lot of jobs though that are office but maybe a day or two a week might be from home and kind of a compromise between the two and you know there's certain meetings i think that are a little more effective and i mean we're when you get down to it we're selling products and things and it's help helpful to you know be able to look and touch and feel things so there's certain jobs that maybe you know three four days a week they'll be in the office and once or twice a week not and 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 then there are other positions where hey maybe it just makes better sense to be permanently uh from home it depends a little bit on what the person's doing yeah, and, and probably also as we start to go back to that, some um, experimenting on what works across different parts of the business, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions for a lot of us right now on what that going back looks like. And, and, and many things, it's a hard to know the cause and effect, and certainly things are, are running well for Nugline. But, you know, much of our success in any given year is usually from things we did a year or two or three before, you know, whether it's a new product launch or uh, a new building we built, it's the benefits don't seem to pop up right away. A little bit hard, but I, I think things have been functioning quite well during the past 12 months. Looking from the outside, it's such an amazing story and the opportunity to, to learn your family story. I was honored to be able to talk to you before we presented today and talked about things, but I think the family story and the generations is just incredible. And then what you've done as an organization over the years and your growth is second to none. And then I think that knowing how you stepped up as an organization during this time, your organization should just be so proud and fulfilled with what they've been able to accomplish during this time and what they've personally some sacrificed and long days during this time so i i want to personally thank you for what the organization has given back to us across not only the us but globally in in how you've helped get through the crisis but also just for the organization that you are and the success you've had 
being a Chicago person, I'm very proud of having organizations like yourself, you know, to speak to that are here in Chicago with us. So do you have any final things you'd like the audience to know about Medline before we drop? One, I want to thank you for doing this. And, you know, again, reiterate, I want to thank our employees for all the hard work they've done. And my grandfather had a little tiny business in Chicago and we moved to Evanston and now we're in Northfield for headquarters, you know, this has been our home for four generations and hopefully a uh, long time in the future. Very much appreciate it. We want to thank all the frontline workers for really tremendous job and, and risking their life and helping others. I mean, really tremendous. So, And I'm hoping COVID goes away and we all have a, a much better future. I think you've got all of us with you on that last one there. Um, yeah. Charlie, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. Thank you, Linda. That's all for today's episode of The Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Sure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org.